Hyperno Goethe, German-Irish Conversations. Join me, St. Pauli fan and former Dusseldorfer Kieran Murray, in conversation with my guests as we explore the connecting moments of German and Irish life. We delve into the many aspects of arts, language and life across cultures. What do musicians, dancers, artists and writers pick up from both cultures? And how are they inspired and enriched by the other? Hyperno Goethe. German-Irish Conversations is for all listeners who like to go and think beyond borders. This podcast is supported by the Goethe Institute Dublin. Alterode and welcome to Hyperno Goethe. And my guest today is Ulrike Gasser, the Institute Leiterin, or the Director of the Goethe Institute in Dublin. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, Kieran. Yeah, nice to have you here. Thank you. But um, in terms of the new job, uh, you just started the new job kind of recently. So what was it like uh, moving to a new job and a new flat and a new country during a pandemic? I mean, I think it's generally always very exciting, no? Like, especially when you change the country. I mean, when you, you know, like, you you give up your apartment, you make a great party with all your friends and you really say goodbye and you take all of your stuff and you leave. It's not just only, you know, going for... For, an, for, a, for a year on Erasmus to another university or something like that. So in general, it's, um, it's very exciting. And it was even more exciting with the pandemic because basically what happened is that we couldn't visit Ireland before. And we were like on the airplane flying to Dublin after the airplane was several times cancelled. I think it was four mm-hmm. times cancelled. My family was always very happy because I wouldn't leave. And I was getting more nervous and nervous because I, you know, had and I also wanted to start my job. But nevertheless, uh, we spent our first days in Dublin and, you know, it was a feeling like holiday, but we knew we wouldn't return. You know, so this was very special. We only had a few suitcases um, because we didn't have like a apartment or a house by then. And we had to search for that. But but now we're settled and everything's fine. But it was it was a longer period. Yeah. Which was exciting. Yeah. So finding a flat must have been quite finding an apartment must have been quite strange. And when you got here, did you have an idea of what part of Dublin you wanted to live in or yeah, like not so much, actually. I mean, I knew where the Institute was and I was very happy to see that Dublin is not so big as other capitals are. So and for sure, we first of all, we thought about the south of the city because it was very natural as the Goethe Institute is close there. And I have a small child, so I wanted to be close in case it might be sick or something like that. So I can go back and forth like more easily. Um, yeah, but then we discovered the north of the city and finally we ended up there. Um, yeah, which was a very good choice, I think. And are you, are you a keen cyclist? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah, very German in that sense. Yeah. So have you have you started cycling uh, in Dublin? Yes, I started cycling, which is adventurous when you come from a totally different traffic system, and you know, and you're educated from the very beginning, even as a you know school ch- child in how to behave in traffic and now you do everything oh, yeah. exactly oh, the other st- way around. So. Stop at the traffic lights when the light is yes. red and those, those kind of things. <laughs> yes. So especially now with my kid, I have to be, you know, like yeah, I have yeah. to take care even more now. And you come from Munich. I yeah. come from Munich, yeah, Bavaria. Is it a good city to cycle in? It's a wonderful city to cycle in and yeah. to do many other things as yeah. well. Um, what is it about Bavarians that makes them slightly different from other Germans? Huh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, me, myself, I consider myself as Bavarian. Nevertheless, Bavarians are very strict when it comes 
to that part of identity because it is sad. You have to be three generations living in Bavaria to call yourself a real Bavarian. I mean, which for sure, you know, like the world doesn't function like that anymore. And I think we also, you know, don't live it. So it's with uh, it's with a little twinkle when when I when I talk about my Bavarian identity, but I have it for sure. Um, and I don't know. I mean, they're supposedly very unfriendly. This is this is what many people say. But if they are friendly, it's from the depth of their heart. So that's a nice thing. Okay. And yeah. and I think as they are very much, you know, like oriented towards maybe their um, Bavarian families or friendship structure, they don't seem to be so welcoming. So I think that that is what maybe makes them different as well. When it comes to coming to Ireland, was it always your dream to come to Ireland? Or did you just happen to get a job by chance? Or how is it that you've ended up here? Yeah, it actually it was it it was by chance, but I was very lucky, I would say. So what happens at the Goethe Institute is basically that um, that a list is published and where you can see all the vacancies. And if you're about to to enter a new job or to change your country, you can apply. And um, we applied among other cities as well for Ireland. And and I think um, you know I'm, I'm it was very fortunate. That we got chosen chosen for that, so so I'm very happy to be here. In fact, tell me where where is the most exotic or unusual Goethe Institute uh, in the world? Is there? I mean, there are some probably in Novosibirsk in Russia, where it is very cold. Yeah, um, there is one in, in Mongolia. There are some in Africa. Yeah, in cities or like in places where you maybe wouldn't have you know the opportunity to go very often. Yeah. So there are a lot of institutes around the world i think 100 158 when i have the correct number now yeah so so you could end up in siberia uh, someday yes mm. Mm. which i think is is still you know like so many places have different profiles and i think it's still uh, exciting uh, also if you would go there did you know much about ireland before you came what do you think um no not so much actually um, when I was seven, I went with my family uh, to Ireland for a holiday, okay. and uh, which was which was a bit uh, adventurous because, like my family, like used to travel a lot, basically all the time uh, that was that was possible. And we went with all our camping gear to Ireland. Uh, we had a Land Rover, and we had a like a, a roof tent on this Land Rover, and we would travel wherever we could go and we ended up in Ireland it was basically like in a bad movie it was raining you know <laughs> day and night and we've been you know like soaked all over or someone told me you would say in Dublin drowned it is that yeah. right yes yeah. <laughs> so we were drowned it and um, yeah and we got severely ill all of us were coughing so at one point my mother said to my dad so now let's stop let's go to a bed and breakfast <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> we need at least you know try clothing and stuff and and even the passage uh, from Calais with the ferry over to Ireland, it was, you know, there were so huge waves. And I remember even someone like falling with a bar stool on the chip, falling over. So, yes. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was an adventurous trip. And nevertheless, I remember, you know, like the, the pure beauty of Ireland's nature. I mean, it's incredible if you, if you come from another country. 
and and also you know like um, the Irish as being like as having a wonderful humor and as being very open and also helpful. So um, even though this is this is a childhood memory, I think this influenced my decision to come here as well. And so you hadn't been here since you were seven. No. Okay. I have not. Yeah, yes, yeah. it was a whole surprise. Yeah. yeah. But of course, when it comes to different cultures and when it comes from moving from a German culture from to to Ireland, that's not exactly how you did it. Uh, you you weren't working in Germany before you came here. Yes, actually, before I was in uh, parental leave, I was working in Turkey. Uh, okay. I was working in Ankara and in Istanbul, also for the Goethe Institute, and I did a wonderful project there, supporting artists uh, and the civil society beyond the big big cities uh, of Turkey in all kind of different. Generous. So that was that was a wonderful time there. And generally, I'm very much connected to to Turkey, Turkish culture and history. How, how are um, Germans greeted in in Turkey in Istanbul, or how are they huh. met? Is it a positive thing when you when you meet a Turk in Istanbul and you say you're German? Normally, it's a very positive thing. So so Germans are supposed, you know, like to have a good football team and to build beautiful cars and, you know, all these kind of stereotypes. But for sure, there have been times when, especially when there have been like severe political tensions between uh, Germany and Turkey, that sometimes um, like you haven't been, um, let's say, that sometimes people when they have been talking to me, they tried to understand what was going on. And you could very well, especially, for example, with taxi drivers, I love having conversations with taxi drivers because they know so much and they talk about so many different people, like with so many different people um, during the day. Um, so when I was when I was there and and um, even when there was like a more negative climate, I would say, um, you could still talk to the people very well. So I, I always I always understood like Turkey and Germany to have very close connections, maybe like siblings, you know, sometimes don't come, <laughs> come along well with each other, but most of the time they love each other. Did you ever get to go and see Galatasaray playing against Bayern Munich or... I, I have been on a Turkish football game, but it was a national game. Uh, it was Belgium against uh, Turkey. It is several years ago when I was a student. And yes, they, they, there is a lot of emotion in such a stadium. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. But um, your, your sense of Turkey, you, you speak a bit of Turkish. Yes, I yeah. speak also Turkish, yeah. Um, so when you're back in Munich and uh, when you meet um, Turkish Germans, are they surprised Yes, but, um, yeah, yeah, they're surprised. Yeah. I mean, probably you cannot see it in the radio, but I'm blonde and I also have bright eyes. So when I speak Turkish, people are surprised. But also here, you know, like time goes on and also like cultural identities shift. And for sure, there are also, you know, blonde Turks, blue-eyed Turks. And it's not all about, you know, the features that you have. Yeah, and but sometimes it's a stereotype that you don't expect the blonde German woman to speak Turkish to you. Yes, so, sometimes yeah. they're surprised, but I, I would say more and more uh, people also, you know, like families mix up, cultures mix up. And yeah, this is yeah. also what happens happens in Germany, luckily. So, Yeah, so what about then your interest in Turkey and even in the Middle East? How did that develop? Um, I was a I was a student and and um, when I started to study political science and um, it was the times before uh, in Germany you could study on a bachelor and a master's degree, 
So I had I had to choose uh, a minor, and actually I wanted to do, to do history. But as I was traveling again, I was 18 years old and always on the road. Um, I would have missed uh, the exam to enter history as a minor, and then like this subject came came you know came up, and it was history and culture of the Middle East, and I was very interested. So yes, it was actually by chance. And um, I entered um, studying uh, Turkology in the end. And when I found out that I would ha have, like, that I would either have to study Persian or Turkish, <laughs> I mean, I was very much surprised. <laughs> but uh, but I found out that I, I you know, I love the Turkish language, and it totally opened up another world. And this is what I also think makes it so important to learn other languages. Um, because it opened up a totally different world for you. And that's, you know, it's a big luck. Is it a difficult language to learn? It's difficult, yes. I mean, you know, the difficulty of learning a language always very much depends on what is your mother tongue. So um, when you are German and you want to study Turkish, it is more difficult um, because the Turkish language is like from its origin very different and the grammar works a bit like Latin. So you work like you, you, you do it with suffixes and also this, the sentence structure is, uh, is, is very, is very uh, different. Um, so you have not like a lot of words, like loan words, for example, that help you out. And did you have some Latin? Did did, did you learn Latin? That no, no, you? no. I didn't okay, learn yeah. Latin. It's yeah. also only the system that is closed. So, yeah, so yeah. the languages are yeah. unfortunately not related yeah. to each other. Yeah. Are there many when you were in Turkey? Are there many Turks that speak German? If they realized that um, you were. Yes, there are several ones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I'm also. I mean, maybe you can tell me about that. But I'm also very surprised that like a lot of Irish people actually speak German. I mean, a little bit at least. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the main school languages. It probably rivals French as the main school language yes. to learn. And traditionally it was probably French, but I think now economically people feel German is a more important language. Mm, and, and yeah, maybe people be. learn it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how many. <laughs> so how yeah. was it for you to learn German? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I suppose... Like the language, like the structure coming from English, it's not that difficult. Yeah. But I often think with languages, it's just exposure. And if you go to a place where um, nobody speaks any English, which isn't that easy to find, then you have to learn the language much quicker. And you have to. Um, I was in Halle, uh -huh. in the in the east, um, and I went to a hotel. And I went into the hotel and I spoke in English because I just assumed people in hotels speak English. And the person working in the hotel didn't speak hardly any English and only spoke to me in German. So sometimes <laughs> learning German or speaking German is about having the opportunity to use it. Yes. Because there are times in Berlin or something where everyone speaks English so well that you'd wonder why you bothered learning all that German. Yes. So, um, but yeah, I think trying to learn a language outside a European language is, is often a different challenge. Yes, yeah. Do you think when you're, when you're learning Turkish, do you have to get inside the mindset of the Turkish people a little bit more than just the structure of the language of, of the grammar? Yes, for sure. I mean, Turkish is, is generally like a language which, which can be very poetic, for example. And uh, like they speak with a lot of pictures. And for sure, you have to understand like a lot of things. For example, still for me, like understanding like song texts 
is is really an issue because they're so poetic that I still, even though I understand the word, I still don't get the meaning. Also, when you hear a song being sung, it's hard to catch all the lyrics. Yeah, I mean, you can understand the lyrics, but you cannot understand the meaning because it's a lot with symbols. Do you sing? I don't sing, no. Mm. You didn't learn to sing in Turkish? (laughs) No, no, unfortunately not. I would love to, but I cannot even sing in German very well, so... Okay, so well, I wouldn't even yeah. try. <laughs> well, maybe during your time here, we'll get you to learn to sing an Irish song. That'll yes, that would be part wonderful. of your Yeah, I think yeah. that like the the Irish, uh, the, you know, the Irish style is also something that is more that that goes more into my direction. You know. Yeah. Because yeah. it's very much community, and yeah. you sing together. At least that is what I understood. On a more serious note, was it were, were there difficulties being a woman in Turkey? Maybe more so in Ankara than Istanbul. Uh, I've never been to Ankara, but I'm guessing that in some ways with um, the Islamic religion that things are more strict. Um, in Ankara, not so much because because it is the capital of Turkey, even though many, many people assume that it would be Istanbul. And actually, um, you know, like that uh, the Republic uh, of Turkey was founded from a, you know, secular uh, founder of, this, of the state, Kemal Atatürk. And he was very much... Um, you know, he, he wanted to be man and woman to be on the same 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 level in all sectors of society. So in the city, not so much because it's very much there. Are a lot of ministries and institutions, like a lot of bureaucrats uh, and stuff. And and when you ask me, like generally, um, like about sexual harassment, what it is basically, I wouldn't say that that it this happens more often in Turkey than another any other country. No. I mean, for sure, like when you talk about dressing, you always have to adapt, like, but culturally, and this, I mean, not, you know, wearing, like, cover yourself all up. But a miniskirt, for example, um, in a poor environment, when you are, for example, like a young woman can be difficult, probably in any city of the world. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Do you think sometimes that uh, Western Europeans uh, maybe or Europeans generally uh, misunderstand uh, the Middle East and they, they have um, they have ideas about what it's like, but they don't really know it very well. Yes, I think so. I think so. And this is also, you know, like um, you can also see this in a perception of, of the cult- culture on the Middle East. You know, you see it in the literature, for example, or the paintings, you know, the, the Orientalist paintings that portray a harem and a half-naked naked woman, you know in a beautiful sarai and stuff like that. And many of the painters, for example, they don't even haven't been to the to the Middle East, you know. Is it not like that? Sorry? Is it not really like that? Oh my I I'm <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't seen it like that, unfortunately. So um so I think that especially when it comes to the Middle East, it it is also when you think about Western Europe, uh, you know, either either it's it's a fantasy or in today's po- uh, in in today's um, politics, it's often very much portrayed in a negative way, which I think isn't isn't the whole picture. What about when it comes to the Goethe Institute itself? What what really attracts you about the Goethe Institute? Is it books? Is it music? Is it what what would you think is your favorite thing about working for the Goethe Institute? I think my favorite thing. I mean, I love the arts and I love culture I would be wrong in my job if I if I wouldn't do so and for sure I also love other people and 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 traveling countries and stuff but I think it's probably not about that I think it's more um, about the Goethe Institute and it's it's will to really understand like human condition 
and um, how this is portrayed in the arts and in the in culture. I, I very much like that that the Goethe Institute is independent and um, that we are always, you know, that we have goals where we really, really try to to understand and to see the needs of our partners and and to connect like our guest countries um, with with Germany. And when I say Germany, I do not mean very much, you know, like ethical Germany or, or in any sense, but like a multinational, like a European, like an open, colorful Germany. And uh, this makes, you know, this makes a lot of fun and this is very fulfilling. So, so when I work for the Goethe Institute, I'm not so much, you know, I'm not an artist at all. Um, I'm an arts manager. So my task is, is to combine people to puzzle with a lot of different projects and a lot of different people and, um, you know, to open up new traces to see where are discussions in each of the countries that could be fruitful for the other. So it's to open up um, rooms, you know, may they be physical or uh, may they be also virtual in Corona times <laughs> or may they be intellectual. Are there aspects of um, German culture when people engage with the Goethe Institute, do you think they have certain expectations? And um, can there sometimes be negative aspects of German culture going all the way back to the Second World War? Yes, I think definitely there can be. And this is also not that we deny that. No, I also don't deny that. Um, I think we, we need to uh, talk about it and discuss it and also you know, like have a look at also today's Germany and the discussions that are going on there without any question. Um, do you read a lot? Yes, I love reading. Yeah. What, what are you reading at the moment? Um, right at the moment, I'm reading Hugo Hamilton, because for sure I'm new to Ireland, so I really try to have an insight into the country and to the people. So um, do you want to read us a piece from, from, uh, from Hugo Hamilton? No, I will actually. Okay. I actually, I brought a piece of Heinrich Böll. Ah, okay. Um, yes. And I mean, I know that, you know, like the Irish journalist probably for beginners, but he has a wonderful, wonderful piece in there. So I want to, uh, I want to share that. It's about time and I think it suits perfectly into our time. Okay. Uh, off you go then. Als Gott die Zeit machte, hatte er genug davon gemacht. Zweifellos, beim Gebrauch der Zeit herrschen sowohl Verschwendung wie Ökonomie. Und paradoxerweise sind die Zeitverschwender auch die Sparsamen, denn sie haben immer Zeit, wenn man ihre Zeit beansprucht, um schnell jemand zum Bahnhof oder ins Krankenhaus zu bringen. So wie man Geldverschwender immer um Geld angehen kann, sind Zeitverschwender die Sparkassen, in denen Gott seine Zeit verbirgt und in Reserve hält, für den Fall, dass plötzlich welche gebraucht wird, die einer von den Zeitknappen an der falschen Stelle ausgegeben hat. And so, do you want to tell our, our listeners what, what that is yeah. about? Yeah, actually, it's a bit complex, so I brought the English version of it and oh, okay. tried to read it, yeah. uh, so hopefully, hopefully you can understand it. When God made time, he made plenty of it. Certainly, in the use of time, there is as much extravagance as thrift, and paradoxically enough, it is the time squanderers who also manage to save it, for they always have time when you ask them for some time to take someone quickly to the station or to the hospital. Just as you can always ask money squanderers for money, so time squanderers are the saving banks where God deposits his time. 
keeping a reserve for when some is suddenly needed on an occasion where one of those people who never have enough time has spent it in the wrong place. That's lovely. Um, yeah, I also I also like it very much. So I was reading the book when Corona was happening, basically. And I don't know, it gave me very, you know, it gave me a positive uh, connotation on the lot of time that we have now during the pandemic. But I don't don't think the time always needs to be, you know, used in a productive way, even though, you know, like learning a language or, or an instrument is a beautiful way to spend your time. Um, but what I think is like what the crisis show, like in a globalized world that was going very, very quickly, that it that it is probably that there is also luck in holding still for a for a certain moment. And maybe to reorganize and to go a little bit slower. So even though all of us feel the desperation of things we cannot do or we cannot see or we cannot make, I think uh, there is still something, you can see something, you know, like positive and useful. Do you think it's okay if you have lots of time to spare that you would watch a box set of Tatort or some yes, detective series? Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the wonderful thing. I, I mean, I don't know, also reading books until the, the morning comes, for example, in the evening. I did this as a child. Yeah. I think it's wonderful because you, you can enter in this, you know, totally new or other or different world or a different time. And not to put you on the spot too much, but uh, when it comes to Irish writers, w were you familiar with Irish writers um, before you came here? I mean, for sure, you know, the classics, right? Like James Joyce, etc. Um, but what I'm very much, you know, excited to find out is basically contemporary writing. I think Ireland in, in, in general, um, it's not a big country, but the, the artistical production of this country is absolutely outstanding, especially in music and in literature. And I'm very much uh, keen to see, like, now the museums and galleries uh, and, um, and cinemas and stuff. Um, but this is something I'm very much interested in, especially now in the time um, where maybe Ireland will also... Mm, I don't know if you could say it changes, but at least, like, with the Brexit, I think I think... Things are maybe moving, at least in the orientation of the country. And so I think it's a very important time and, and I'm very happy to be here and, and to have more insight into the cultural scene. Yeah, perhaps one of the unusual aspects of Brexit is that perhaps Ireland moves a little bit more closer under those um, big European countries like France and Germany and less under that influence uh, of, the, of the United Kingdom, where it has been for so long. When you, when you were growing up or when you were a student in Munich, were you aware of Ireland or were you aware of Irish culture? Yes, sure. I mean, I think, uh, I think yes, you, you are aware of Ireland. I mean, nevertheless, um, what I think, what, what some of the people, or when I was leaving Germany, they would ask me if, you know, Brexit would affect Ireland. I think many Germans um, still remember uh, the clashes uh, between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, and they probably don't don't really understand what it means and um, what the Brexit now means for the border and also what that means for the people of Ireland. Um, so this is something that, that came to my mind, but in general, people know Ireland, yes. Probably yeah. also because of Heinrich Böll. Yeah. I think in post-war Germany, he totally, you know, produced an Ireland type in Germany. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And, and because of Irish pubs in Munich, 
Did yes. You, did you spend uh, much time in Irish pubs in I Munich? I think everyone, you know, has been in an Irish pub yet. And I've been for sure also in an Irish pub. And, and not only in Munich. I mean, Irish pubs are wonderful, you know, messenger maybe for 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 parts of the Irish culture. culture. It's probably not, you know, the whole Irish culture um what what can be seen there but it was also I was also going to the pub uh, to the Irish pub in Istanbul this is a very particular thing that there are Irish pubs all over the world it's incredible like actually that's that's like a cultural institute national yeah. cultural institute yeah yes. I'd imagine the Irish pub in Istanbul is an interesting place yeah it's a very funny place very nice Irish people yeah. very welcoming yeah. uh, it's it's good yeah. it's good place yes are there many Irish people in Istanbul not so many. No, I mean, I didn't so. actually, except the bar owners, I didn't come across any <laughs> Irish person there yet. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe I haven't been in the right quarter. You know, like Istanbul, for example, it, it's 20 million people. It's incredible. It's a wow, huge city. yeah, you forget that, yeah. You, you, you talked a lot about travel. Um, are there places that you particularly like to travel to? I mean, I traveled a lot to the Middle East, for yeah. sure. And yeah. to Turkey, actually. I mean, not in this year, but normally like once or twice a year. Are there um, other places in the Middle East that you would recommend? I mean, they are not, especially when it comes to political tensions, it's not always easy to travel there, mm. but it's worth a trip. You know, it's like not a holiday in that sense. It's, yeah. you know, like it's a travel where you really meet people and where you can see places that are relevant for our culture, for the European, the merging of the European culture. So that is really interesting. But what I like lately um, also discovered is Europe. You know, when I was a student, it was just too expensive also to travel there. And um and now also with a small child, we happen to go to Italy, uh, or France, or now Ireland. So also there you can see a lot. So sometimes you don't have to travel that far to see many interesting places. Yeah. Speaking of travel, I suppose um, in terms of coming here and, and not being that long here, uh, will this be um, Christmas away from Bavaria for you? Um, I think me, we might go to Germany for Christmas. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but, but depending on the situation, I'm still a bit un, unsure about yeah. that. Yeah. What, what's a Bavarian Christmas like? Um, I don't know how it, if it is so different from an Irish uh, Christmas. I would love to find out, so maybe you can tell me. But <laughs> So, well, like, one very, one very important difference in comparison, for example, to a more Americanized Christmas culture is that there is no Santa Claus. I think that might be. There is a Christkind. There's no Santa Claus in Germany. No, That's terrible. there is only Nikolaus who comes earlier in December. <laughs> um, who is a Turk, by the way? Yeah, just like yes, mentioning. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, which is wonderful, I think. So the Turkish man comes with gifts, with presents for the children. Yes, yeah. On the 5th of December? In Bavaria, it's the 5th, but normally in Germany, it's the 6th. Okay, yeah. yeah. So then at Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, is, is that not the time when people give presents? Yeah, they do. They do, okay, yes. Yeah. But they are brought by someone else who is the Christkind. The Christkind, yeah. Which is kind of an angel. Yeah. Or I, at least I imagined it as being an angel. <laughs> and um, so you decorate the tree and yeah. then miraculously the door to the living room is closed. And at some point a bell rings and then you can enter as a child and then the presents are there. Oh, wow. Who, who rings the bell? The Christkind. The Christkind rings the bell. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes maybe maybe the father does it for yeah. the Christkind, so the Christkind asks yeah. the father to do yeah. it. And did you have this kind of um, bad Santa? 
Did you have the other side for for children? Yeah, he's called in Bavaria. It's called Krampus. Krampus. Yeah. 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 What's he like? Um, I mean, he 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 wears a f- fur and he has chains and you know, like he's very frightening. Yeah. So um, yes, I saw him, but <laughs> but you saw him. Yeah, I saw him several times because sometimes he comes together with the Nikolaus. Okay. So they come together. So yeah. it's the good and and the evil basically. Yeah. Um, but so luckily, I come from you know a family like my parents didn't think it's a good idea to you know to um, yeah make Krampus be very bad towards us. So have you have you told your son if he doesn't behave, Krampus will come and take him away or whatever Krampus does? That's that's a that's a good question. No, I think I wouldn't do so. But he's also <laughs> still very small, so he wouldn't understand. Um, is Bavaria uh, still traditionally quite Catholic, and is that is that an important part of of Christmas? On the countryside, yes, I would I would say yes. When it comes to the cities, um, it's probably not so much a topic. So also like in any place, like generally in any places as well and other places as well, uh, like churches tend to be more empty and people don't go to church very much. Mm -hmm. And the the traditional Christmas markets, I mean, that was until very recently uh, very much a German thing and, and not something that we had here at all. Is that something that you would have always done? You would have always gone to Christmas markets? Yes, yeah. Did you have a particular favorite? Like a Christmas market or, yeah. or a thing I would do? I mean, there's a wonderful little Christmas market in like very close to the village I come from. I'm born in the countryside. So um, so we would go there. It's close to a lake and it's not so much about consumerism as it is in some of the other bigger cities. Um, but, you know, there are fires burning. You can buy little things and, and Bratwurstsemmel, for example, which is basically sausage roll you would call it um so yes and you can you can drink some malt wine so that was always beautiful yeah it's a bratwurst semmel yes yeah that semmel word always caught me out when you'd be ordering <laughs> soup or something and they'd say would you like semmel and you go oh, well, I don't know. so it's a semmel <laughs> and you know, yes it's always that's also Bavaria. i mean we're yeah. very you know like bread is quite a topic yeah <laughs> an important topic it's an important topic yeah yes. so um what do you think then, uh, when when you're here living in Ireland, what do you think you would miss about home? Um, actually, I mean, I think I miss my friends uh, and my family a lot. I think everyone does uh, who's not together with them. And and besides that, I mean, yes, I miss Brezen, which is also Bavarian again. So um, What's um, Brezen? So it's pretzels. Okay, yeah. Yeah, what you probably know as pretzels. And that's something that, that when you're a child or when you have a child is very essential in Bavaria because actually children need it all the time yeah. and you can barely think of a childhood without a Brezen because it's slightly salty, it fills up the stomach, you know, you can easily hold it in a stroller, you can eat it all day, so it's a very handy thing. Um, I would say... I might miss that, but maybe this also goes too far. And are you, are you a beer or wine person? I'm a beer person. Okay. Yes, so I'm what, a beer person. So what beer would you recommend then? Tegansia Hell. Okay, that was, that was quick. <laughs> that was very clear. <laughs> yes, Augustina is also fine. They're wonderful beers, but what I wanted to say when it comes to missing things in Germany, I think, no, that, I mean, I also miss Turkish things. So, so what I, you know, like just what I, what I want to emphasize is that, that, like the the idea, like even though I'm German, like my my whole identity is probably not German. So 
I also miss a lot of things for, from Turkey or from other places, as do other people as well, I think. Was, was, was Christmas celebrated in Turkey? No, it's not celebrated in okay. Turkey. Yeah, I mean, it is from, from some Christian minorities, but not in the general sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not, so it's always, um, yeah, it was always quite an adventure to, to get a Christmas tree or something like yeah, that, yeah. no? Well, maybe um, to, to wrap up a little bit, um, we were talking about recommendations, and so you recommended some uh, pretzels and some beer, but uh, <laughs> what, what would you recommend in terms of um, books or music or something? What I mean, I think um, when it comes to books, I mean, I think they're beautiful, uh, beautiful works. I was just uh, reading uh, Nino Haratashvili, for example, or Mariana Levki. I don't know, I can maybe send something that we can put yeah. on the website. I think yeah, that we'll, would be... Yeah, we'll add a list to it, yeah. Yes, yes. Um. And there is uh, wonderful music, uh, no, wonderful contemporary music, also classical mu music. But I have the feeling that classical music is more renowned in Ireland than contemporary music is, for example. Yeah. They're wonderful electronic DJs, for example. Perhaps Irish people think of music in Berlin as Beethoven and a dance scene in Berlin and nothing much in between. Yes, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe I can can send in a little list on that. Yeah. And what is also no very um very interesting and stunning and I think this is also um now with uh, with the pandemic and also the time you have, you know, is film. So they have wonderful filmmakers in Germany. And I, I really say in Germany, not German filmmakers, because, you know, yeah, like, yeah. it's not yeah. so much about the um, singularity um, of, of an identity. But um, yes, and, and what is also very strong is theater, I would say, in Germany, you know, in the tradition of Bertolt Brecht. Yeah. They're wonderful theater um, pieces and now you can uh, see a lot of them and there are also theaters uh, like the Schaubühne in Berlin for example um, that would put English subtitles so you could also see that even though the language is, is German yeah okay um, and maybe then just as a, as a final question what do you think it is that makes you German huh that's a very difficult question because mm, yeah as I was you know I was actually just mentioning that that also part of my heart might be Turkish as well and and I think um, I think in general that that the time of, of you know like just I would say an ethical identity are over in a globalized world um, where we are all very much interconnected with each other and where we also saw what problems result in such when you view at the world uh, from such a position so what I think I mean for sure I have some German features and and stere I, w I also fulfill stereotypes no my friends were laughing at me because for example um, I know the price of a liter of gas and I don't think it's weird you know that's a very <laughs> German thing because Germans chat on the, on the price of gas um, but there are also stereotypes I don't fulfill no I, I always cross the roads when it's red which is extremely is that dangerous very difficult especially for you? in Ireland because I would probably look to the wrong side where the cars <laughs> might come from um, but um, but besides that you know like an identity doesn't always result in that and this is also what we drive for example when we um, when when I work for the Goethe Institute and the Goethe Institute as such doesn't understand itself as an as a cultural institute which is only solely about about German you know in Germany so very much as an as an European institute uh, with all its diversity so this is what we like to portray in our work and uh, this is also what probably very much describes me much more a European probably as a German okay Ulrike uh, and with that we'll leave it there it was lovely to talk to you 
Yes, and it thanks was very much for joining to us. You. Thank you so much for having me.